0: Welcome to Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation, all of a nice cold beer. Well, I'm Evan Gertner. And I'm Mike Yeagley. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're in a little little new surroundings. It's sort of throwing us. Um, the, uh, today we're going to be covering the ninth and 10th commandments, uh, starting at paragraph 292 in the, large in the large catechism and the ninth commandment
1: is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house
0: and the 10th is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife nor his manservant nor his maidservant nor his cattle nor anything that is his so luther covers these two together in the large catechism you know in, in the in the small catechism he breaks them out doesn't he or does he i guess I'm, I, I i i'm not sure uh, sorry, I <laughs> I didn't mean that. he breaks them up in the, in the small catechism.
1: <laughs> They're broken out separate.
0: Yeah, I, I was actually just looking at the little small catechism earlier today, and uh, I, I thought I, I thought those two were broken out. It's something I know so well, but it's in that moment
1: of we get so in depth into one thing, I forget. It's like <laughs> we're saying the Apostles' Creed and then accidentally starting to blend into
0: the Nicene Creed. <laughs> yes, that's sometimes what happens. So, Luther has a surprising start to this one. The, you know, from the very beginning, uh, Luther has made clear in the, uh, in the large catechism that he's, he's really piling on the sin. And, and you have to sort of go back to what he was dealing with at the time, where there was this general recognition that you could easily, easily live according to the Ten Commandments and that the, the more saintly people were, were working on higher-level things, uh, some sort of asceticism or, or something. You but know. The Ten
1: Commandments were good for the common man, but the saints and the pious ones were going to be working on something grander, something more holy. And in his Ninth and Tenth Commandment explanations and in the conclusion, he starts to kind of ground that even the most basic things of remembering what is yours, and what, remembering what is someone else's is hard for all
0: of us. Yeah, and what's, what's interesting about this is that, and you know, we don't want to get too far afield here, but um, I sometimes wonder if at the core of the, we'll go back to at the, when this all started with Luther, which was we had a lot of discussions early on in this podcast, talking about things like uh, penance, we talked a lot about penance and we went into some of the catholic theology of the treasury of merit where the pope could go all the extra holiness that's stored up in heaven from all the good things that christ and the, the apostles and, and mary the and done. the saints have done and the pope has access to that and he can give it away to whoever he wants and that's that's called
1: an indulgence
0: an indulgence and and you know and so at the core of that at the core of that i wonder is this concept that the 10 commandments are easy that and that all this extra stuff that okay yeah the common man is going to struggle with the 10 commandments but you know the the the, the whole of the saints and all the, they're doing all this extra stuff that's sort of piling up in heaven yeah you know, and that's and so this this what Luther is talking about now and it's I, i'm I'm not an expert at catholic theology but I wouldn't be surprised if that's sort of the 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 mechanism that's being used here
1: well, that's the character of even the word covet is this this enticement to think someone else has something more than what i have and if only i could get a little bit of what they have my life would be better like if only i could get a little bit of the merits of that saint over there my life would be better and and
0: so there's like a covetousness baked in to the treasury of merit and, and the whole concept, the purgatory, all this stuff that was part of the Catholic system um, back, especially active back in the Middle Rather cause. than
1: trusting in the righteousness that Christ is giving, we start to trust in the extra righteousness that someone else has. And we, we look in despair on what we have as we start to see what we think someone else has. And as Luther is explaining this struggle of coveting, he even will go on and and point out that with the right maneuverings in the courts, you can get what is someone else's and make yourself look all honorable when in your heart, all you're doing is trying to satisfy your desires to be more important and bigger, but you've manipulated the courts to get it. So what are the ninth and 10 commandments about? Is this, this struggle of identity in God's eyes and in the world's eyes? And am I, am I sufficiently uh, blessed by God in the righteousness of Christ, where do I have to go out and try to take from someone else to get more?
0: What's interesting, and I'm just, and that, that, you know, what, so what Luther does is, you know, like I was going into was that he does start with a surprising beginning.
1: Oh yeah. Let's where, get to this. This is,
0: yeah, you know, like he, he's piling it on. He, you know, from the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, his discussion on the Ten Commandments, you, know, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. He, he just piles that on. And then all of a sudden, at the beginning of the, the, the Ninth and Tenth Commandments, um, he, he, he sort of starts, I guess he starts out a little funny to me.
1: He says these two commandments are given quite exclusively to the Jews, Nevertheless, in part they also concern us.
0: That's the sort of pulling back that he does at the beginning of the discussion of the, the ninth and tenth commandment. Really, he caught did me a little up. bit of
1: that on the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy.
0: That's true. That's true. But he, he really but for a while
1: he hasn't done it now. And then he comes back with this word covenant as something that's exclusive to a command against the Jews.
0: So I was wondering at when I when I read that, you know, and it's funny. I, I like I think I've mentioned on the podcast before is I read through the Large Catechism regularly. Um, maybe not every year, but most years I'll go through and read through the the Large Catechism. And and it, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm reading through it and I say, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Pop, you know, yeah. I'm not just, you know, okay. Skim, 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 skim. It's just another skim. genealogy. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, and, and I, 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 never really read the the ninth and tenth, the his discussion on the ninth and tenth commandment very seriously until this podcast, and you know, preparing for this this episode, and and you know, I so I I stopped and I started going through it a little bit more carefully, and I realized you know that. That well let's let's take a moment. I want to roll back before like why
1: does he say that this commandment exactly. is exclusively for the Jews, but it has application to us as well is not because he thought the Jews had a problem with coveting and he didn't. The, it's not like, you know, this anti-Semitic trope that, you know, you've got these rich, greedy men that are seeking to take advantage of you. He's not meaning that. Uh, what he is referring to is the role of manservants, maidservants, and wives.
0: Well, let's, let's read what he says. Uh, so he's, he's, he gives a little bit of a lesson on the Old Testament law. And he says, Under the Jewish government, manservants and maidservants were not free, as now, to serve for wages as long as they pleased, but were their master's property with their body and all they had as cattle and other possessions.
1: So he's talking about why we should not covet our manservant, our manservant or maidservant. Well, it's, it, on the most base level, that's a hard thing for us to understand. Because it, back in the Old Testament, there were slaves. And you could entice and deceive someone to take away their slave. But now we live in an economy, in our time and also in Luther's time, When people worked with a wage as long as they pleased to work there, they were not slaves in Luther's time.
0: So, yeah, and that gets into exactly, you know, this, and he's focusing more on the 10th commandment Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his cattle, nor anything that is his. And if you're going to take that, you know, really uh, literally,
1: I don't have a manservant, I don't have a
0: maidservant, got no cattle. Uh, you know, I, at least I don't have any cattle. I feel like you're about to sing for manny. You? No Do you know that? <laughs> 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 so, no. No I house. ain't singing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> but, so you don't have a manservant or a maidservant, so you have to keep reading this commandment. That's the way that Luther's kind of starting his explanation. Alright, you guys don't have manservants and maidservants. And,
0: and he, has, he has another one in here, Thou shalt, the first one, Thou shalt never covet thy neighbor's wife. And he has a little reasoning there why that doesn't apply anymore. Right. And, and so right there he says, um, he, he goes into this, Moreover, every man had power over his wife to put her away publicly by giving her a bill of divorce and to take another. Uh, therefore, they were in constant danger among each other, that if one took a fancy to another's wife, he might allege any reason both to dismiss his own wife and to estrange the other wife from him that he might obtain her under pretext of right. And so there's this okay, I'll put my wife, you know, I'm going to put my wife away. I like your wife, you know, I'm putting my wife away and I'm going to start, you know, luring her into, into you know, toward me to, to sort of, uh, and, or maybe make you unhappy with her. Make you, so you put her away and make her available to me.
1: So this is an interesting connection. I think where Luther exists in a time a little bit different than ours because in Luther's time, divorce was not easy. But he's recalling that in the Old Testament it was easier. Right. And he said that's why there needs to be such caution about coveting a neighbor's wife because there is such temptation to manipulate the easy divorce system of the Old Testament. Now he's thinking of his own time period where divorce is much more difficult, and he even describes how difficult it is, and he has this statement, he says, that about how, uh, how difficult divorce is, and, and thinking about how the only way to divorce someone now is by some shrewd stratagem.
0: Well, he says, but such an example, I trust, will not occur among us, because in the New Testament, those who are married are forbidden, to be divorced.
1: What um, optimism he has there, huh? Yeah, newly
0: married. He's Only still been married a couple years. He
1: and Katie love each other.
0: And, and you know and and by all accounts, uh, Luther's marriage with Katie was was remarkable. He he loved her um and and they had a great relationship for his entire life. Um and, and you know so he had but especially during this time, uh, 1530, 1528 ish yeah. frame. he's he's Newly married is like, well, that's not going to happen amongst us. And, you know, I could see where maybe the, he's a pastor. You know, other people aren't really sharing their problems so much with him during this period. Well, he
1: had had a, a moment of quite a great deal of depression after the, the early death of one of his children. He comes, uh, withdraws from all ministry. But then uh, the plague happens in Wittenberg. Um, and he has to become a nurse to those who are in need, and he's brought out of his depression. It's not much after that, then he writes the the visitation articles, and they go out and do that, he realizes the need for the catechisms. And so his writing of the small and large catechism are taking place in this time period where he's married, he has this moment of sadness, but now he's in joy again, and he wants to share this joy with others. And I, I just don't think he is very aware of how hard marriage is in this time period.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so he has, he has little to say about marriage really. At, in this at, section. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and that's sort of, so we're, we're running into this thing where now I can, I can say I, I have known people uh, you know, who have, I'm going to say they tired of their wife. You know, they're getting a little older and they put her away. You know, they, they put no fault divorce. It's very easy. And and that's the end of that marriage. And you know, I mean, it, it, it has never when I, the people I know who've gone through this, uh, it, it's never turned out well for everybody involved. You know, uh, and, and so it's it, it, this this is a problem today. You know, this 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 covetousness of 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 wives of of others. You know, and and this is this is I think. Where he says it's not a problem, I, I think this does uh, apply to us today. And, and we had that episode when we talked about uh, adultery, um, mm-hmm. where uh, there, there is this whole episode on, on almost that, that subject. And so it's, it's, uh, I, I think this is, this is really, unfortunately, applicable, yes. much more applicable today than it, even it was in, in Luther's time. And maybe in his own
1: time it was as well. Yeah. And if... Um, you know, if we have a chance down the road, maybe we'll look at some of his sermons, his catechetical sermons they preach in the commandments, um, and it'd be interesting to see how he addresses uh, the coveting of another's wife in this. In yeah, yeah over,
0: over the course of his life, how that how this message evolves and, mm-hmm. and changes. Well, I think, uh, what do you say we take a little bit of a beer break?
1: Yeah, so our beer break is a unique beer today. It's uh, Geischlicker Fruit Lutheran Lager. And the story behind this beer, it's not available in any of your stores, is that there is someone at my church on December 6th encourages uh, the office staff to put their shoes outside our offices. And then over the night, St. Nicholas comes and visits, places some oranges and uh, some candies and some beer in our shoes. And... uh, this uh, beer comes with a little nice note that St. Nicholas is friends with Marty and Katie Luther, <laughs> stops by at their house before visiting our house and uh, picks up some of uh, Katie's beer or that some, something like that. Guys, fruit Lutheran lager, means the spiritual fruit of Lutherans. Oh, there we go. And so we've got the spiritual fruit of Lutherans and, and it's a dark beer. We don't have any information on its uh, brewery. Uh, we don't have any information on its alcohol by volume or what uh, sweet words the brewer might have wanted to describe it by. But I would say it is it is pretty dark. Oh, there. very dark. Uh, this is
0: this is motor oil dark, and uh, it's really a great flavor. It's got some
1: sweetness. It's got a little bit of a um like an imperial flavor to it. maybe? Yes,
0: yeah, it's it's got like an imperial stout type. It's, it's a stout, is what I would... I would.
1: Though it says, guys, look at Fruit Lutheran Lager, I'm not quite sure if I'd classify it as a lager. No. But, <laughs> but it is spiritual fruit for yeah. the soul, uh, bringing the nourishment of, of what sweet and, and wonderful things two friends can say to each other uh, as they share uh, beer and time together, as they study God's Word. And that's really what uh, Grace on Tap as a podcast is about, is that uh, two guys uh, looking at Martin Luther and other events of the Reformation... Um, All over an ice cold beer. So guys like a fruit uh, Lutheran lager. Here we go. Prost. Prost. So we looked pretty quickly through the 9th and 10th commandments, partly because that's what Luther does. He does um, look at the 9th and 10th commandments from this concern that when we desire something from someone else, uh, we can lose our trust in what God has provided to us.
0: So we're going to sort of transition now into a, a little bit of a brief discussion on, well, let's, I'd like to take a few minutes and sort of go back and sort of reconsider everything we've said about the Ten Commandments. As, as we've been going through these Ten Commandments, there are a few things that have been going on, and I, I wanted to just sort of make that explicit. So
1: their role, their usage, their function in the life of a Christian is is much more than, say, the academic study of what Luther has written in the large catechism. There is, in the tradition of the Lutheran church, to refer to it as uh, three uses of the law, although Luther himself did not use that terminology. Um, In the Small called articles, he talks about the chief and primary purpose of the law is to always accuse us of our sins. But then he will go on and describe how society can work through the law to help curb any gross moral misbehavior and he also then throughout the commandments will use them as
0: guides or directions for how we could live pleasing lives so the 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 first use of the law is uh is to as a as a curb for society the second use of the law is a mirror that is meant for us to see our own sinfulness and the third use of the law is a guide in living uh, and, and to teach us about how to move forward. And that's at least how I, I recall those the three thinking of the three uses of the law. It's it's a, a curb, a mirror, a guide.
1: So now we're gonna just jump ahead about 35 years after the death of Martin Luther and look in the formula of Concord. Uh, so 1577, the formula of Concord is written, and then 1580. Um, all the kind of confessional documents that help shape the boundaries of what it means to be a Lutheran are brought together into the Book of Concord. And the formula of Concord itself was written um, kind of by committee. There was, uh, there was Martin Chemnitz, Jacob Andreas, Gretelius, uh, and Andreas Elnecker, uh, and they, they would uh, had been traveling throughout the Lutheran churches to try to resolve conflicts. And so this section that I'm going to read to you is actually from Jacob Andrea's six Christian sermons, which were written as model sermons to bring resolution to conflict in congregations that were having disputes about the role of the law. And so here's what Jacob Andrea wrote The law of God is used, one, to maintain external discipline and respectability against dissolute, disobedient people. So, first use of the law as a curb um, to maintain external discipline. Second, to bring such people to a recognition of their sins. That's what you described as the mirror. Right. That, that role of the law to bring examination. Right. And then he says, three, it is also used when those who have been born anew through God's spirit converted to the Lord and had the veil of Moses removed from them live and walk in the law. This third use of the law is the one that has the, the most kind of... Uh, controversial usage of the Lutheran Church in the 20th century, especially the late 20th century into the 21st century, out of a history of gospel reductionism, and um, whether there is any role for the law to guide what Christian behavior should be, or in gospel reductionism, which was kind of a a scriptural interpretive method developed in the 60s and 70s, um, was that there is no role for the law to guide Christian behavior. So what instead should guide Christian behavior is only that Jesus loves you.
0: Right. And, and so we are both of the opinion that there is a third use of the law and there is a need for a third use of the law. And, and a lot of our discussion, um, up until this point, has been that third use of the law, as how how do we, as we have gone through those Ten Commandments uh, and re- Luther's writing on it, we've tried to take the, the Luther's writings and apply them to our common everyday situations, or even on a societal level. Uh, for example, when we talked about um, honor thy father and mother, we spent a lot of time talking about, well, what does that mean when your father and mother are not, or any authority, when so, any of, are are not honorable? And so you know, that would give us some kind argument. of
1: external, uh, the way Jacob Andre describes it, an external discipline to the way that a son should treat his father.
0: Right, and and so, but you know, I, I think it's really important to take a moment. And go back to because Luther also in his in, in, when he was doing that the, he did implicitly go through and give training the, the in his ten in his discussion on the Ten Commandments. We'll see him just
1: run through all three. Like this is what it um, it should look like. Even though we're sinners, we can try to do this. So the external. Respectability and and curb against gross moral behavior, but then he'll acknowledge that there are bad things that happen. Right, and that will be that kind of mirror usage.
0: And he does it at the very beginning, and and actually when I uh, you know when he gets into the conclusion on the Ten Commandments, he spends a little bit of time talking specifically about you know these high saints who these saints who feel that they can do the the the, the Ten Commandments you know, no problem, and now they've got to take on bigger things. And he's basically making the case, no, no, you know, you, can, you are failing at the Ten Commandments. We all are failing at the Ten Commandments. And, and this is, you know, where he talks about that second use of the law. This is, again, implicitly talking about that second use of the law, that we fail miserably and we desperately need Christ and his saving grace to to help us through.
1: Even the greatest teacher in the church still needs to be taught by God's law. Uh, You're talking about the saints and the way he describes in the conclusion. Paragraph 312, he says, Let us see now what our great saints... Here's some sarcasm in his writing. Let us see now what our great saints can boast of their spiritual orders and their great and grievous works, which they have invented and set up while they let these pass, that's the commandments, as though they were far too insignificant. Or had long ago been perfectly fulfilled. But then and so he goes on in paragraph three fifteen. But see, is not that a cursed presumption of those desperate saints who dare to invent a higher and better life and a state than the Ten Commandments teach, pretending, as we have said, that this is just an ordinary life for common man, but there's something more for saints
0: and perfect ones to do. And that's exactly, you know, what, what we're talking about here, is to, to have a, a serious look at the Ten Commandments. So we've spent several weeks going through the Ten Commandments and this leisurely stroll through Luther's large catechism that we've, we've been engaged in. As we think about the Ten Commandments, it really does set things up for us where we are never short of things to, to repent of. The yeah. Ten
1: Commandments are not just child's play that we then will grow out of. Uh, so he'll, he'll look at, through each one of the commandments, even in his introduction of the Ninth and Tenth Commandment, where he would say, these most specifically apply to the Jews, but they're good for us to look at as well. He's always looking to the commandments as, there are some things that you may have considered settled and past tense, but now let's look at how they address our present needs and concerns and, and desires and give voice to what our sins are.
0: So it's it's one of those things that you know you know as again and we can we can say it a a thousand different times in a thousand different ways, uh, and I'm I'm going to actually go back to um, my favorite, which is the Magnificat, Luther's writing on the Magnificat, and where where he talks about how God likes to create from nothing. How God likes to create from ex nihilo, you know, in the Latin, the yeah, from out of nothing, from yes. out of nothing, and just as He created the universe, He likes to recreate us, and it is it is through the Ten Commandments that we are driven back to nothingness, that we recognize that that we have no standing before the Lord, and that it is through the Ten Commandments that God, again, works with His favorite material, nothing. And, and rebuilds us into something beautiful that is acceptable to him, that is the image of Christ.
1: So his structuring of how he, he places the chief parts of the Christian faith uh, with the Ten Commandments first, then the Creed and Lord's Prayer, Baptism, Office of the Keys, and the Lord's Supper, um, he starts us with the commandments to show we start from nothing. He starts us from the commandments... So that when we look to the creed, we see that we need God. Rather than having the commandments come as some sort of extra appendix to everything God is doing, we see this is the foundation of why we need God to act.
0: Right. I mean, if and if you go back to his era, what you know, most people would put the Ten Commandments at the end. It'd be like, oh, well, you'll you guide for
1: Christian living. Once you've gotten Jesus in the creed, now know what... Yeah. What life looks like.
0: Yeah, now, Now. okay, well, what's, and what's that for the common man? This is the easy stuff. We're just going to do the Ten Commandments. But, you know, Luther takes that, he turns it on its head. Puts the commandments first. Puts the commandments first, breaks us down with it, breaks us into nothingness to prepare us for, for the creeds, for baptism, and, and, and for, the, well, for the creeds and the sacraments. Yeah. And so Luther is always
1: kind of writing to um, an audience that both knows Jesus, has had the veil of Moses removed, as Jacob Andrea would write it, and we no longer are living over this vanity of trying to achieve the law we trust in Christ. So he writes to people who know Jesus, and he will give them some guidance on how to do this Christian living. But he's writing to that person also to say, and yet you still need to go back and look for why you need Jesus in the first place. It's that simultaneous saint and sinner uh, conundrum of I am a saint and so I know I'm safe and secure in Christ Jesus I am a sinner so I always need to be reminded that I need Jesus
0: yeah yeah it's a, and I I'm gonna I, I would say it's not a conundrum more as much as it is a paradox yeah you know, it's it's uh it, it this Two is some, that exist at the same time yeah and, and and it's not a conundrum because it is a it is a problem that has been solved for us by Christ yeah, it, it, it finds resolution yeah it finds its resolution in Christ and so it's you know, we we can rest easy in that paradox. Uh, oddly enough, we can rest easy in that paradox in the knowledge that Jesus Christ has, has lived, died, and been risen again for us.
1: And now we come to a conclusion of this Grace on Tap episode of the commandments, and especially this episode where we've been looking at commandments 9 and 10 in the conclusion by reading how Luther... Extols us to always just remember the Ten Commandments. He says, Therefore, it is not in vain that it is commanded in the Old Testament to write the Ten Commandments on all walls and corners, yes, even on garments, not for the sake merely of having them written in these places and making a show of them, as did the Jews, but that we might have our eyes constantly fixed upon them and have them always in our memory, that we might practice them in all of our actions and ways, and everyone make them his daily exercise in all cases, in every business and transaction. As though they were written in every place, wherever you would look, yea, wherever you walk or stand. Thus, there would be occasion enough, both at our home and in our own house and abroad with our neighbors, to practice the Ten Commandments. That no one need run far from them.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because uh, in my in my years uh, involved with the church, I've run into a, a lot of folks who hate the Ten Commandments. They don't like to. They don't like when the pastor talks about them. They don't like when. When, uh, when, when they have to deal with them, and and you know, uh, there was a time when I, I didn't quite understand that, and it's we all suffer from faithlessness, but that's that's a certain kind of of faithlessness that doesn't look to doesn't actually believe that Christ and His work is sufficient, where this because where where you look at the guide the 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 using the Ten Commandments as a guide. And that's all you see. Yeah. And, and you don't look that's, at the... T- that's a lot of burden. That's so, a lot to of try burden. try to be this perfect. Yeah.
1: And if, if you're given the commandments just as a guide without the foundation of Christ, it is a burden. It's a weight. It's too heavy. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's sort of the reason I wanted to spend a little bit of time in this episode, at the end of this episode, going back to the second use of the law, which is where we, we used the Ten Commandments as a mirror and, and we we go back and we it, we allow it to break us we allow it to, to make us into nothing so that we are ready for Christ that that to, in that preparation to, to where Christ because as I think I said before you know God likes to work with nothing and so it's the Ten Commandments that gets us there
1: amen yes God indeed is at work through the Ten commandments preparing us to receive Christ and he is at certainly at work in delivering us into Christ. Well, this concludes our episode. Enjoy your week. Prost.